the seventh chapter of Matthew tonight. We're going to get into our study this evening of uh, the message tonight from Matthew 7, and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 6, and we'll consider the subject this evening of judge not, judge not. Matthew 7, and let's read the first six verses. Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the, the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite! First cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn again and rend you. Uh, one of the many, but one of the most misunderstood biblical teachings has to do with the judging of others. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's become very commonplace in the modern church today to hear a cry as, you cannot judge me or don't judge me. Only God can do that. But we understand that God throughout Scripture has never indicated that we are not to judge. It is rather how we are to judge, which is at the heart of what the Lord is teaching here in this portion of Scripture. Uh, the world says now, the church is saying from an unbiblical position, uh, you're never to judge me. Uh, you're not to judge my actions. You're not to judge my character. And they make the very bold but very frightening statement that only God can judge me. And I've said this before, maybe I've said it recently, uh, that's a person who truly does not understand what they're saying when they say only God can judge me as if God is going to be uh, less judgy, if I can use that word. Uh, somehow we've gotten the idea that our judgment is too harsh, but that somehow God's judgment will be much less. Uh, the opposite is true, of course. Uh, the Lord here is stating the exact opposite of that. Now, often people like to take verses and they like to read and focus on the part that they like. And so the part that they like about this particular verse, verse number one, is judge not. That's where it stops. Judge not. They say the Bible says in Matthew 7, verse 1, judge not. And of course it says that, but that's not the entirety of the verse nor the entirety of the context. It says judge not that ye be not judged. Now again, the Lord is not condemning judgment. He's going to give us an illustration of how he is saying it is how we judge is at the very heart of this. Uh, we know that the principle lies in the truth here that before we judge someone else, the truth is that we must judge ourselves. And therein lies the most difficult uh, portion of this is how do we judge ourselves? Uh, 
uh, because we tend to be uh, much easier on ourselves uh, than someone else might be. Uh, we tend to look at our own sin, look at our own life and say, you know, uh, I'm not as bad as someone else. So really this section in Matthew 7, uh, it really deals with uh, matters and how we deal with matters with other people. Uh, how, when we come in contact with other men and women, um, how do we treat them? How do we act? Uh, much of what the Sermon on the Mount has been about has been about our personal personal devotion towards God. And now we're really getting into how we are to treat other people. And I don't think it's um, coincidence that the Lord starts here uh, with a uh, emphasis on the judging um, of others. So as we think about what's being said here, we think about what the Lord is dealing with here. Uh, we see that the very first two verses tell us that it says, Judge not that you be not judged, uh, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged, and with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. He is not saying that you cannot use judgment. As a matter of fact, we are to judge one another, uh, we are to find fault if there is truly a fault, but we're not to do that until we have thoroughly examined ourselves to be sure that we are in fact uh, right before God ourselves. Uh, now, I will tell you, it's, it's honestly easier for all of us to find a fault in someone else than it is to find it in ourselves. Um, we, could, we could nitpick people and we could find something wrong with just about everybody we see. We could find something to judge them for. Um, there is the implication here is that uh, we are to find fault with others when there is sinful fault to be found, but we should never do it without cause. Uh, nor should we ever do it in a position of we are holier than thou and the reason I'm judging you is because I'm in an elevated position and I have the right to judge you because I'm a holier person than you are. So that's where we have to be very careful about how we do this. And thirdly, we should not do this in a means of hatred towards another person. Um, it should go without saying that believers should not have hatred in their heart, especially for other brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, but sadly, it does happen, but it should not be the case. So the Lord is teaching us here, Jesus is teaching to use our judgment, but he's implying and telling us to judge in a right manner or in a right sense. In other words, don't just criticize someone uh, in a means as if you are set o over them as their authority. Most times our judgment we give towards another when we're sinfully judging someone else is because we are acting as if we are their authority, that we are set over them. Um, now, there are cases where we might be a employer to an employee or we may be in some sort of authoritative uh, position over them but our our judging should not be done in that manner it should not be done in a way where we're doing it as if i am the final authority on your life i'm the final authority on judging your actions and whatever i say about you that's what sticks but we also have to understand that since we don't have this authority uh, we also don't have the authority to dispense judgment with motives 
that are founded in pretending that we can read someone's heart. Um, I think an example of this is when we try to uh, we try to determine someone's intentions. We judge someone's motives before we truly actually know it. Now, I know sometimes we think we're good readers of people. Have you ever heard anyone say, I'm a, I'm a, I can read people really well? Well, how, do, how is that ever confirmed? Oftentimes, we don't confirm that. We just think we know what someone's motive is, and we think we know what someone's heart is. And a lot of times, someone does it in a way that we don't typically do it, so we think, oh, their motives are impure. Uh, they're, they're, they're wrong here. And, and so uh, we, we cannot pretend that we can know the heart of man. Only God knows the heart of man. Um, I can't even tonight know your intentions about anything really this evening. I, I can't say what your intentions are right now. I don't have any way to read your heart or your mind and say, you know, that person's having uh, really, uh, those thoughts they're having right now, those are not good. I don't have the ability or the authority to do that. Um, oftentimes we think in our judgment that we are righteously judging. Uh, you've probably heard this. We've heard someone say, well, yes, I judge people often, but I always do it in righteousness. I always do it in perfect righteousness. And those same people that say my anger is always righteous anger. Uh, it's a frightening thing when we have to we have to announce uh, that our judgment is righteous and our anger is righteous. So we have to sound like saying that I'm humble. I'm humble. I'm humble. You don't usually have to announce your humility. So we've got to be careful in how we judge here. Um, oftentimes uh, we find that uh, you know we we sit in judgment upon them and that's what Jesus is teaching here is he's 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 warning them that listen however you judge someone else that's the judgment that is going to be given unto you however you measure their uh, actions that's how you're going to be measured and so there really is this this boomerang boomerang effect that how you do it it's the the old cliche what what goes around comes around it's it's what however you do it that's how it's going to come back to you in the very same manner so also remember this, and I think this is very, very important. Uh, we have not reached yet the day of final judgment. Um, and we, we do not sit in the place of final judgment. Uh, when the Lord will, will pronounce final judgment upon all of mankind. Uh, he, is the, he is the judge of the earth. He is the one who ultimately decides and determines uh, the, the, the guilt or the innocence of an individual. Um, I know myself personally, um, I have to be very careful, uh, I'm being very transparent with you, I have to be very careful about my own judgment um, and how I can misuse my judgment of other people. Um, some of us, uh, maybe including myself here, we might be quick um, to criticize, we might be quick to find something to point out on somebody without knowing all of the facts or without knowing all of what's going on um, so there is this uh, this this principle here um, so uh, we should use our judgment he's he's of course not telling us don't use judgment the verse implies that we judge in the proper sense and don't do it in a way to 
to destroy someone. Uh, don't do this in a manner that you're trying to prove you're right and they're wrong. Um, oftentimes, I think if judgment was being done properly in the house of God, if judgment was being done properly between believers, I think we would find a great value in it. We find great value in helping and sharpening one another. Uh, but we certainly have got to be careful about how we do it. And then Jesus, in verses 3 through 5, gives us uh, this great principle. And he's asking it in a series of questions. He says, And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Notice that's a question. Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? These series of questions leads Jesus to make a declaration. He says, thou hypocrite. Now, why is he being so uh, direct with us and so direct in this uh, scripture? Because he's telling us that the greatest uh, use of our judgment, of judging of a situation, is the tendency to not judge someone else first, but to judge ourselves. Uh, the judgment should start with us. And before we ever look at what's in someone else's eye, we ought to consider the beam that is in our own eye. Now the idea here is, is that we are, he is talking about, you look or behold the moat or the splinter. This is an idea. We think about a moat. We think about a big body of water surrounding a castle. This moat is a splinter. And what Jesus is saying, he says, why are you looking at the splinter in your brother's eye, but you're not considering the beam that's in your eye? The beam of wood, this, this large beam that's in your eye, but you're finding in your brother a splinter. You're finding the littlest thing to find fault with him, yet you can't see the beam in your own eye. This word of, or this phrase of beholding, okay, beholding is not a glance. Uh, we sing that song, Behold Our God. Why are we singing that? We're singing that not in just a passing glance at our God, but to, to think upon and to meditate upon and to consider God. So the word beholdest here means to look with intent. To look with the intention of finding something wrong. Now I can give you 100% guarantee if you look hard enough at me and talk to me long enough, you're going to find something you can find fault with me about. I promise you, you will. And if you keep coming back daily, you'll find something else. And you'll find something else. And you'll find something else. The idea here is, again, now if it is, a, if it is a fault in me that is sin and it is a fault that is clearly contrary to the word of God, uh, there ought to be a relationship between brothers and sisters that can be done properly to say, listen, there's a problem in your life. But this is not what Jesus has in mind. Uh, Jesus is saying that uh, in order, before we find fault in someone else, we ought to consider the greater fault that's already in us. Uh, it's the beam. The beam in our own eye which blinds us to our own wrongdoing. Do you know how well behaved we are in our own eyes? Do you know how holy and righteous we are in our own eyes? Do you know how easy it is to convince ourselves of that, that we truly believe? Uh, I really have no faults. I mean, if... if 
believers would just rise up to the standard of that I've set, we would all, it would just be a better world. Now we think this is far-fetched, but it's not. Uh, this beam, Jesus is saying, this should be something so obvious to you that you shouldn't miss it. But yet you're looking right around the beam of your own fault and you're finding the splinter, the very smallest thing in a person. Which does suggest to us that there is a blindness here. The purpose of the beam is not just for us to think about a large object. It's to think a beam in the eye leads to blindness. Now, here's the thing. Blindness doesn't excuse us. So just because I'm blind doesn't mean that I'm excused from my wrong judgment of others. Because we still, although the beam is blinding us, Jesus is pointing something out. But you still see the splinter in someone else's eye. So we're not totally blind, we're just blind to ourselves. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Blind to ourselves, but see the splinter in someone else. It's evident that we don't shut our eyes to the error, maybe it's a small error in our brother, but yet we magnify the fault or the error in that brother. Interesting that here's this man with a beam in his eye, and he's pretending that he has dealt with himself in an honest manner, yet he's attempting in his own righteousness to attempt to say, let me remove that splinter from your eye while he ignores the beam in his own. You know, sometimes as we judge someone else and we're trying to judge and help them through their whatever that fault is, we should have been looking at ourselves first. Now, if the person with the splinter in his own eye is looking at himself first, do you see what's happening here? Man begins to solve much of this problem of sin and judgment of someone else. Now, we understand that Jesus uses this word hypocrite. Now, the word hypocrite typically in the Gospels is reserved by Jesus to use in some of the very strongest terms. You know, when he was dealing with the Pharisees, he called them hypocrites. He, he talked about how they would, they would fret over the smallest things and yet they would ignore the large things. So here Jesus says, Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye. The hypocrite is in a sense pretending, and this is key, is pretending to be so concerned about the speck or the splinter in the other person's eye that he's not even dealing with his own. In other words, he says, "I'm brother, I'm so concerned about the splinter in your own eye. When really that's not what his motivation is. His motivation really is he's just a fault finder. He's not truly looking to help that brother. He's just acting as if his main goal is to help that brother or sister remove that splinter. Now, we, all, we know throughout Scripture, we see the same Jesus presented as a lowly, humble servant. We see Jesus at times uh, when he turned the money changers' tables upside down. We would all probably be in agreement, though, that part of the character of Jesus was the fact that he was gentle, in a sense, and he was very lowly, he was very humble, uh, he was very compassionate. But here he calls a man who looks 
and finds the smallest splinter in someone else's eyes or smallest fault in someone else and he calls them a hypocrite now think about that for a moment that word hypocrite is usually reserved for the strongest terms of falsehood and yet Jesus says if you're wrong in this judging of others I put you in the same category as the Pharisee who is more constrained, who is more worried about the small things and ignores the weightier matters of the law. And again, what is it in the church that has gained such popularity? Don't judge me. Really, what that person is saying is I don't want to judge myself. I don't want to look at the beam in my own eye. I don't want to deal with the sin in my own life. Jesus, this gentle, compassionate Savior, calls this man a hypocrite who pays attention to the small things in others and pays no attention to the matters in his own home. Now, one of the, one of the things that we talk about scripturally is, you know, we, we use verses such as, don't just be a hearer of the word, but a doer, comes from James. You know, part of that is gearing us towards understanding and, and part of what we understand and even even in reform theology comes to the idea that the idea of reformation to correct or to change into something that is intended reformations don't begin with other people they begin with ourselves so in other words, before I start judging someone else's need of reformation, I need to deal with what needs reformed in my own life. What is that beam that I'm refusing to deal with? What is that beam in my own eye that has making me blind, but yet I can see the splinters in everyone else's eye? My intention tonight is not to pull and point individual people out but you understand that there are people who live their entire lives seated in judgment of someone else they get up finding someone to judge they get up looking for people to judge they have, they have set the standard and they say here's the standard of righteousness just look at me and anybody doesn't reach my standard of righteousness they're in they're in the wrong i would tell you people with that attitude have got a big beam right in their own eye now we can all we can all fall prey to this to where we can find ourselves being in judgment and ignoring the beam in our own eye now remember our reformations must begin with ourselves or they're simply not true desires of reformation uh, they're not springing from a right motive sin right sin must be rebuked uh, we have to reprove sin. If we see sin and we know it's sin, look, we, we should call sin what it is. But here's something. You should not be protesting against an evil or a sin if you yourself are not refraining from that. Does you understand what I'm saying? If you're, if you're accusing someone else of being guilty of a sin and you're saying, look what that person's doing. If you're practicing it, you have no right to tell that person to stop doing that. Now you think that's an obvious thing. But what were the Pharisees doing? The Pharisees, many of them, many of them were doing that exact thing. They were telling what the lowly publicans were doing, but what they were doing, but yet they were practicing some of the very same sins 
that the people they were sitting in judgment of were doing. The Pharisees were very, very good at censoring other people, calling out other people's splinters, but they were very slow at amending their own actions. I think everybody knows what I mean by that. That Pharisaical spirit can come out very, very promptly and very, very pronounced where we we are censoring other people's behavior, but we're not reforming our behavior at all. It almost seems it almost seems contrary, doesn't it? Why would I call out a splinter of someone else in their life if I have the beam of that very same sin in my life? Yet I think it happens more than we're willing to admit. You see, we, we're, we're tempted to notice the sin and the splinter in someone else's eyes, but we don't see it in ours. I think it would be fair to say that the Lord Jesus Christ does not desire to have His kingdom filled with hypocritical people who call out the sins of others, but don't deal with the sin in their own life. This really is Jesus calling His people to practical obedience based upon the rules of holiness, which means this is, this is practically how our Christianity is applied. Remember, we talk here a lot about our doctrine. We can talk about doctrine. We can talk about theology. Uh, we can spend time talking about the great doctrines of the faith. But where is the practical application? This is one of those practical applications. How do I judge other people? Notice he says there again in verse 5, he says, First cast out the beam out of thine own eye. First. So before you even point out the splinter in someone else's eye, get rid of the beam in your own eye. Then, he says, shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. That's the part people in verse 1, when they say, see it says judge not. Did you notice what verse 5 is saying? He's saying that once you deal with the beam in your own eye, what will you do? You will see clearly to cast out the splinter that's in the other or the brother's eye. So that to me sounds like we are told we are to judge. It's just we're to judge with the proper motive and only and only after we've dealt with the beam in our own eye. It's interesting that we ourselves um, are to deal with ourselves in judgment first before we deal with the judgment of someone else. And I think that phrase, thou hypocrite, really ought to get our attention. Uh, because judging others is not a small thing. And it's not a minor thing. Now, verse 6 seems to be out of place. But I assure you it's not. This is one of those verses where people have read and read and read for years and they read it and they say, huh, what in the world is he talking about? Verse 6, give not that which is holy unto the dogs. Neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. Now, this is in the sense of when we come face to face with stuff.
stubborn, stiff-necked people who really can only be classified as true enemies of the gospel. They are people who are so uh, put off and so offended by they want nothing to do with the things of God. Now this question has been asked to me a number of times is how do we know when we're dealing with someone who just simply doesn't want the truth and is never going to deal with the truth? How do we know? This is what the principle is. Jesus is saying, give not that which is holy unto the dogs. Now again, those who perceive the purity of the truth of God and they trample on it. They want nothing to do with it. Jesus is literally saying they are like a dog. And what happens to those who are unable to perceive the purity of the great truth in which you're giving to them? If you set holy things before them, holy truths like this, they will be provoked by that. And what does it say they will do? They will turn again and rend you. Now, holy things are not meant for the profane. Without our dogs. Now, there's this sense in which those who are in this place, these enemies of the cross, these enemies of the faith, they shouldn't even be allowed to enter into the holy place. When you're in the midst of people like this, when you're in the midst of vicious people who are described like swine. Now, these are Jesus' words, not mine. This gentle, lowly Savior has now used three of the strongest terms. He says, thou hypocrite. He's used the word dogs. And he's used the word swine. All really have negative connotations to them. And yet, he says, those that will not take this truth... They are like swine. Don't bring forth the precious mysteries of the faith because they will simply do nothing but despise them and trample them under their feet. Listen, there's this concept of thinking that we as believers are commanded to needlessly provoke an attack on ourselves or upon the truths of the gospel. There are moments, there are times when we simply do not put it before individuals like that. Some have asked me that question. I, they say, I've been witnessing to someone, I've been talking to somebody about the Lord, and they are just, they are angry and vicious towards the truth of everything I say. But don't I have an obligation to just keep doing it and doing it no matter what it costs me, no matter what the attack is towards me? Jesus is saying exactly the opposite. He's saying there are times when these truths will not be perceived. It'll be treated as nothing and it'll be trampled upon. We are not needlessly to provoke attack on ourselves or upon the truths of the gospel. We're not to judge in the sense of judging the motive, but we're also not to act without some sense of judgment. This is what the this is why this is here. I know it seems out of place. This verse gives us a picture of how you are going to have to make a judgment about something or someone. That's a very tough call. How do I know when to stop speaking the truth to someone? We're not 
We are not to count men to be dogs or swine, but when they act in a manner that affords them that title by their conduct, don't put occasion in front of them for them to display that evil character. In other words, what he's saying, don't put this great truth before them if they're going to do nothing with it but trample it. Although we're not to be their final judge, we're also not called to be fools. We're not called to just simply keep doing it and doing it and doing it when there's no desire for it. Now notice how Jesus uses these examples. He uses dogs, he uses swine, and he uses hypocrite. But in the middle of that, he uses something precious. The pearl. Neither cast ye your pearls before swine. A pearl had its name specifically among the Greeks. The pearl was thought by the Greeks to be something of, to be estimated of great value. It was a pearl that was valued oftentimes as high as 250,000 crowns. It was something that was truly signifies something of great value. What Jesus is saying is that this doctrine, this precious heavenly doctrine of God, is in fact a precious pearl. But that precious pearl will not always be received by all men. Some will take that precious, valuable pearl and they will trample it under their feet. He's not telling us to call them dogs. He's not telling us to call them swine. But he's saying if their character affords them that title... He says, don't cast your pearls before them. I don't know when that point is when we judge a situation to say, no more do I put this before them. So what is Jesus concluding here? The conclusion is, is that we first of all, we must judge ourselves. We must be the judge of our own actions first. But we also don't make our judgment of ourselves, and this I think is very important, a law for other people. You realize with what judgment you judge yourself, that's what you'll be, if you treat other people that way, you'll be judged back. You know, the judging of ourselves doesn't mean that your judgment of yourself becomes the law for everyone else. I truly have been in, I've, I have come in contact with people over the years where I think they truly believe that the way that I did this, that is the way. And if you don't do it this way, then you're wrong. But there's something more serious here. And the more serious thought of this is, do we even dare look at the beam in our own eye? Or are we so quick that the first thing we see is the splinter in our brother and sister's eye that we don't even, even dare look at the beam in our own eye? We shouldn't judge things quickly. We shouldn't pass judgment without cause. We shouldn't pass judgment without grounds for that judgment. But we also should not seek to make the worst of people and what I mean by that is, is our judgment sometimes gets in the way to where our desire or motive becomes, I just want to destroy that person. You think in Christian circles you wouldn't have to mention these things, but sadly we do. We have to mention those because we're all tempted to do things for the wrong 
reasons, with the wrong motives. Really what Jesus is doing here is He's reproving those who simply quarrel and argue and find fault with brethren for small faults while they continue to allow in themselves greater sin to reign. That's really the point of this. He's not saying don't ever judge. He's not saying you don't have a right to judge. But he's saying be very, very careful that before you ever dare judge another person, make sure you judge your own motives. Now we realize that, and I think the point here is, is that whatever splinter you find in someone else, the beam in your own eye is bigger. <laughs> whatever I find in you, I have something bigger in my own eye. Now, that should not make you feel holier and more righteous. Because if we're all thinking that, you understand what's happening here. If I'm looking at you and I'm thinking, nope, that's a splinter. I got a beam in my own eye. And you're doing the same things towards me. You realize what's happening? We're doing a lot of self-judging before we ever reach out and judge someone else. Because we're dealing with our own beam in our own eye. Other times, we note and we should remember... Do not take a lesson like this that Jesus is saying that little sin is okay. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that the little splinter of sin in that brother's eye, that's just a little sin. You got a big sin. He's not condoning that at all. Again, the whole principle here is about looking at yourself and judging yourself first. It's been... It's been uh, given as illustrations often. And I don't know who this originated with. Uh, but someone gave the illustration of one of the smallest insects is the, 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 the gnat. Right? It's a tiny little flying bug. When we, were in, when we were in New England, they had, what were those things called? Black flies. Horrible things horrible things they are tiny and, and they had a whole season for them it was called black fly season and you, you, you just knew because when you stepped out they were all over the place and these flies would be so little and yet if they bit you people's whole sides of their faces would swell up I kid you not I mean a tiny little thing and so we say well if, if it's just a little sin what kind of harm can it really do you get that black fly or that little gnat in the right place at the right time and it can cause great damage. Jesus is not saying little sins are okay. But what he's calling us to is have enough charity and love for a brother and sister that you don't call out the small splinter in their brother's eye before you truly, repentance, truly repent of your own sin. Listen, I think if we truly take what the Apostle Paul tried to teach us about godly sorrow and leads to repentance, it'll find us in a place where we will, first of all, desire to deal with the beam in our own eye first before we ever consider judging anyone else. Isn't it a strange thing that a person can be in a sinful, horrible condition and not even be aware of it? <clears throat> That's what having the beam in your own eye is. You're blind to yourself. 
People get into those sinful conditions to where they don't realize just how far away they are from God. The beam in our own eye, we also know, blinds us and it hinders us from doing what we know we ought to do is right. The good rule for all of us who desire to reprove and reform someone else a good rule of thumb is to reform yourself first. Reform yourself first before you pass judgment on another individual. I hope that will challenge us tonight as we think about that.